Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Hello and welcome to episode 204 of the Chills of Will podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Josh Riedel. Josh was the first employee at Instagram, where he worked for several years before earning his MFA from the University of Arizona. His short stories have appeared in One Story, Passages North, and Sycamore Review. Please report your bug here, will be the main focus of our conversation, is his first novel. And he lives in San Francisco, California. Although, Josh, we were just talking and you said you're... A little bit outside the city now, but is it fair enough to say San Francisco, or would you like to specify? Yeah, the Bay Area. The Bay Area. Awesome. Yeah. Man, it's a pleasure to talk to you some hour and a half, two hours away. I'm up here in Sacramento. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Same. I don't know that you are in any way related to Ethan. You might be 100% different than Ethan, who's the main character of Please Report Your Bug here. But he grew up in the Midwest. I'm wondering where you grew up and maybe uh, and also about your relationship with reading and writing from a young age. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my main character grew up in the Midwest. I did, too. Um, I was born in Illinois and I grew up around St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, I, I grew up most of my life like an hour west of St. Louis. So kind of like in this town that became the fastest growing suburb in America. Oh, when wow. I was a teenager. So I kind of watched it go from this like rural place to mm. suburban strip malls. Yeah. yeah. Incredible line from uh, from towards the end of the book where one of the characters says basically that writing is listening. She was like being asked on the bus, like, what are you reading? And she's kind of like, and the question was kind of like, do you like what you're reading? I think it was an Adrian Rich. And she's kind of like, does it matter? <laughs> you know, writing is listening, kind of hearing different points of view, et cetera. Um, I wonder, like, you know, was there like a, a strong, like oral storytelling um, tradition in your family? Were you the kid always at the library? Kind of what was your connection with the written word? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, you know, my parents took me to the library a lot. Like I was at the library every week checking out books. So I, I read a lot as a kid. Um, but I did you know, my mom is from this small town, like in Southern Illinois, on like the Illinois Kentucky border. Okay. And her family was like, very into storytelling. Like I remember my grandma kind of like holding court in the house mm -hmm. and just telling us stories about things that were going on in this small town. Mm, that's awesome. I was talking with a student today who's one of my students who's from Kentucky. And it's like, I guess shows the ignorance of our of my speak for myself, like geography, like, Dang, like Illinois does border Kentucky. That's crazy. I know. It is kind of crazy. <laughs> like I, I I feel like whenever I say I'm I'm from Illinois, it's like I was born in Carbondale. Like my dad was in school uh, there. And that's kind of central Illinois. And then I spent a lot of time in that like very southern tip. So it's yeah, a pretty yeah. different version of Illinois than like Chicago, you know. 
All right. I'll, I got to ask you about a certain Illinois resident in a few minutes when we get into your reading as you got into high school and college. But as a kid, what were the kind of things that you were getting the library? What, was it, what were the kind of things that really thrilled you? I read a lot of the choose your own adventure books, <laughs> <laughs> which feature in the novel, book, of course. Yeah. Um, the Goosebumps series. Yeah. I remember reading um, My Side of the Mountain, mm-hmm. a young yeah. adult book. Yeah. Um, and yeah, those are probably, you know, I was a big, a big hockey fan, uh-huh. still am. And so I, re- I remember my library had these like hardcover books on different NHL teams. And so okay. somehow like those were intriguing to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. I, I read so many sports books as a kid, right? Whatever, whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes to keep, keep kids reading. Are you a Sharks fan then? Or are you more of a Midwest, one of those teams? That you know, I'm a, I'm loyal to the St. Louis Blues. Um, but I have, you know, gone to a fair number of Sharks games. And I'm kind of a fan of them, you know, living in the area. And they're kind yeah. of a, like an underdog team now. So they're fun right. to root for. There you go. Have they won a, they won a Stanley Cup? No? Sharks? Maybe I don't know if they ever have. I mean, they're not, the, the team's not that old, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they made, maybe they got to the finals. I'm not, yeah, I think you're. Yeah, right. they definitely got to the finals. Well, so not not just him, but you know, you talk about Carbondale, Illinois, and all that. I think of David Foster Wallace, mm-hmm. right? His 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 dad was, I believe, a professor at University of Southern Illinois, maybe. Yeah, somewhere somewhere around. Yeah, there. I remember, I you know, so he grew up in that. He grew up in you know, kind of downstate. He would call it Illinois, and there's he has a great piece about going to like the the state fair, the county fair, you know, and all of that. Um, I wonder what whether it's him or others, you know, who and what you were reading really kind of turned you on to reading and writing as a high school, college student, and even into your MFA? You know, I I don't think I, I didn't read David Foster Wallace in high school. I remember reading like a, my best friend in high school. And I I think we were like the only two people with subscriptions to the New Yorker in our town. (laughs) And we were kind of like, we, we would read that and kind of get exposed to what was going on in the rest of the world. And, Of course, like the internet was pretty early when I was in high school, like AOL was around live journal. Um, and I remember reading when in high school, when I, I'm not even sure how it came across, like how I found out about it, but Dave Eggers is first yeah. novel, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. 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 I am looking around in my classroom. I think there it is. I don't know that I ever finished that book. It was so much. And I read it a time, you know, I'd love to get back to it. It was so good and so engrossing and so sad and all the above, right? It was just like, like sensory overload, not, not in a bad way. I was just like, wow, man. So that was one of the books that you really did. I mean, I've seen some of the reviews of your book and talked about it being, I think frenetic was, was used and I could see that. I don't see that. I don't see that in a negative way at all. But I wouldn't say that your book was like, you know, chaotic or anything like that, where that book is just like so much, so much. Do you feel like you write like, some people you've read or do you feel like you have a pretty unique um style hmm. maybe it's hard for you even to identify yourself you know what i mean because you're the yeah one. i mean it's i've definitely been influenced by a lot of i do i'd say like that dave eggers novel was just like one of the first contemporary like yeah. like novels that i read where it just come out and it seemed like people were talking about it and had this like comparative you know other books i was reading in high school had this like more like conversational tone to me just like that contemporary uh tone um but i think you know after like once i i moved to portland oregon for college and i had this professor this writer peter rock Hmm. 
who um i think his his style i'd say is like way more like spare than mine at least in some of the early books his early books i was reading at the time but i think his approach to writing had a significant effect on me Mm. um and he introduced me to writers like Priscilla Everett um I remember like around that time the Tin House Writers Workshop started up uh like after sometime when I was in college Mm. and um I got to see Dennis Johnson read so I was reading Dennis Johnson I got to see him um so I think some of those like and I read a lot of um I remember reading Tony Early like his uh coming of age novel Jim the boy and these other southern writers like Barry Hannah and mm-hmm. Faulkner and um and I think I I gravitated to those like southern writers right probably because at the time I was taking like my first creative writing classes like short story workshops like that was just kind of like what was being taught mm-hmm. um that like you know pared down Raven Carver style <laughs> Um, but also because I think it was like a connection for me to that, you know, that part of like Southern Illinois I was describing earlier. That makes sense. Like Ethan in the book, you know, maybe you are, maybe you're not the idea that he, he's an artist. He considers himself an artist in so many ways. He's a photographer. Maybe, maybe talks, uh, maybe he's kind of bumped up his credentials a little more than he actually has, has the experience for, you know what I mean? As a photographer towards the end he's kind of learned some basics it seems to me as a non-photographer but um just you know the idea of art and when he starts in the book which we'll get to in a little bit but it's a startup it's like hey if he doesn't want to change the world he wants to do something pretty close to it right it's not just about the money or maybe he just convinced himself that but um i guess my my, my question is getting into like with with instagram like were you on the art side of things were you on the science side of things were you on you know the tech um you know, engineering type, like how did, how did Instagram come? Was that something like, man, this sounds like a great thing. This is kind of like, Oh, you got in when you could and didn't really know what you were in for. Um, <laughs> I guess just like, yeah, the, yeah. The, all of that. <laughs> all <the above. laughs> um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I like a lot of people like around my age, like I think it was kind of like grew up on the internet, like was really fast. Like it was a way for me to connect to the rest of the world outside of this town in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and in college, like I went to college, like when I was in college, Facebook launched and I just had like, it just, this was Facebook launch, I think in 2005. Sounds right. Yeah. And at that time there was just like this, like real, like optimism around technology and like, mm-hmm. And for me, as like someone who's like the same age as Mark Zuckerberg, it was kind of like, wow, like people my age can just like go do this and we don't have to wait for Microsoft to release something for us. You know, like we can go out and build our own things and make our own way in the world. Yeah. And so I got a job at Facebook after college Um, and it was, I'm not like I was an English major. I'm not technical at all. Um, And it was in the customer support and this was back when facebook was like in downtown palo alto in a few different office buildings and there were like a hundred of us in this room who were basically like you know answering support emails 
mm-hmm. for early Facebook users. Mm-hmm. And that was real. Like I, like I was just fascinated by that culture. Like a lot of the, I was, you know, coming from Portland and like a lot of people there were just like Stanford grads who, you know, taken a job there after college. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like the competitive, like type of like job that you get now after college. Like it wasn't, um, this public company it was kind of like, oh, you know, like you seem like you know what you're doing and you're passionate about tech, like sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I I was just fascinated by Palo Alto and by this whole like tech world, but I just like the job really wasn't for me. Like I lasted about three months before I left. Yeah, yeah. You just saw like the boom in tech, like things like Facebook, more like DIY at the time. You saw yeah, definitely. I think the DIY, that's a good way to describe it. Because like in Portland, I, you know, it's like a very DIY place. Like yes, yes. I was really into, as you can probably tell in the book, like mm-hmm. craft coffee and right. beer. And there's all these like people like weld their own bicycles together into right. these tall bikes. And that like craft, like DIY component, I felt like there was, you know, some kind of like some kernel of that in like the, this like 2007, like tech industry as well. Yeah. 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 Instagram came, came immediately after that or no, it must've been a few years after. Right. So yeah, after that, um, I left Facebook, like I went and lived abroad and taught English for a little while. And then I got a job at, um, this, this travel startup that was based in San Francisco. It wasn't called Portals, was it? It wasn't called Portals. It was okay. called Next Stop. And a lot of people think they've heard of it, but it's really, they just are confusing it with like an old subway app, like an old like New York City subway app. Okay. Um, but it was really cool. It was a way to like make these little guides to places you visited. Mm. It just didn't really grow very fast. And it got acquired by Facebook. Okay about like less than a year after I started there. Did it kind of get swallowed up? I mean, is there anything recognizable what next stop in 2023 or did it kind of get swallowed up? No, not, not at all. It was, it was like what they call a talent acquisition where they really, I think they really wanted the two founders of the startup to come work at Facebook. Okay. And so they bought their company. Yeah. Must be nice, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to get a job, I guess. I'll <laughs> just start. <laughs> So how did you become employee number one at Instagram? So at that travel website that was acquired, I one of my coworkers there was Kevin Sistrom, who started Instagram with Mike Krieger. Okay. Um, and Kevin had left the startup before um, we were acquired to start on his own project that eventually became Instagram. Mm-hmm. But in that process of it becoming Instagram, it was kind of like a few different apps that were based around like check-in things like Foursquare and photo, like posting photos. So it kind of evolved over a, I don't know how long, like a year or so. Mm -hmm. But while he was beta testing it, like there were probably like a hundred of us beta testing these like early versions of Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I really loved, I mean, I've, I still use Instagram. Like I really love those like early versions of the app yeah. because they like I I met a lot of people in San Francisco through it. Like I found out about new places in the city. It was just like a really fun 
experience on your iPhone. Uh, and that was, that was like pretty new at the time. That was, mm. you know, 2010 and the iPhone had been released in 2007. So okay. there wasn't like a lot of like Facebook had a terrible iPhone app at the time. It just wasn't like nowhere near as sophisticated as it is now. Right. Well, I would think that maybe maybe for some people, like if they saw like the nuts and bolts, the what do they say, how the sausage is made, like of Instagram or whatever, then you know, you might not have as much respect for it or like it as much. But it sounds like you you thought you just thought it was pretty cool. Like you were you were on the on the launching part of it, the at the the bottom, not the bottom, but you know, at the beginning and really saw like how cool it is and still have kind of a reverence for it. Yeah, I mean it I think early on it was like the community that existed on Instagram was just yeah. like this very supportive, very like design forward, you know, um, community. And um, it kind of reminded me of like, uh, like early Flickr and Vimeo, like early Vimeo. Mm-hmm. Um and that, yeah, that was like really cool to be a part of. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like my job there, like I was working there as like the non-technical employee mm-hmm. and doing just kind of like answering support emails, like filing bugs, putting together office furniture. Like it wasn't a glamorous job, but it was very like, you know, it was like a small team. I love the people I work with. And it felt like we were putting something good into the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the way you're describing it sounds like uh, Twitter or X today, right? Just, I mean, not at all a cesspool of oh yeah, of not negative opinions and anti-Semitism <laughs> and horrific things. Yeah, and I think you uh, know, I think that's a lot easier to do when you have a brand new app that's you know maybe like tens of thousands of people, right? And as it gets bigger, it's just harder to yeah. harder to really manage that. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, did you did you feel like the I'm assuming that you have the artsy part of you. Did you feel like that artsy part was that that itch was scratched with with Instagram and in those ways? And you're also and then I guess how did I guess did you always know what was there? And it was like, hey, that's when you end up doing, you know, like the MFA at Arizona and going artsy mm-hmm. and creative creative in that way. Did were you also able to be artsy like and creative at Instagram? Yeah, like I, I felt that way. Like I felt like what we were making together was um you know like more than just like an app or a company like a business um however naively you know Mm -hmm. like of course it's a business Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean i went into the tech industry originally because you know i had a lot of student loan debt and i needed a job and i wanted a job that felt like I could learn things from other types of creative people. And I, I really like working that first job at Facebook. I thought the designers and engineers were like just as creative as anyone, you know, I studied English with in college. Hmm. So being Instagram employee number one, I feel like you probably never have to pay for another beer again at a Bay Area bar. Or... <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> dang it. Dang it, dang it. Did the fa- did the Facebook crew ever have the one of those outings at, at Miyaki's in Palo Alto? Oh, you remember that place? Vague is 
I don't know. I don't think we ever really left campus. Okay. Oh, well. Uh, well, yeah. early Facebook days, the 2007, that was, everyone just went to this bar called the Old Pro. Okay. And yeah. it was the the era of like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a sports bar where people get drunk every night. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> Miyake's was the place for, I went to Santa Clara University. Okay, okay. So that was like the 21st birthday place with Miyaki's. They had, uh, um, I did not partake, fortunately. They had sake bombs was the thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure people were going there. And I right? wasn't. <laughs> I think it was on the uh, university, you know, that stretch there anyways. Right, right. Please report your bug here. It came out in late 2022, early 2023. Early 2023, January right. 17th, 2023. Right. What were some of the seeds for the book? Well, I mean, you know, as we've been talking about my background, it was like a lot of a lot of me reflecting on my own experience in the tech industry and also just with work in general. Like I felt like a lot of my 20s, like I went to Reed College, which is a great private liberal arts school. It's also super expensive. And thankfully, you know, I had financial aid and I could go there, but I also graduated with a ton of student loan debt. And um, I just felt like the, especially like those first few years out of college, or just like, how do I pay for anything? And back then, San Francisco was more expensive than Portland, but nowhere near what it is now. So it was like, kind of the place you could live and get a job <laughs> um like a portland seemed like jobs were non-existent hmm. um and so i guess like the seed of the book i was actually just like me reflecting on my 20s and just like how i negotiated like trying to find work that i could feel kind of like that i felt passionate about mm-hmm. uh while also you know paying to live gotta pay the bills yeah yeah. Did you have to wait a little bit for there to be enough distance, like emotional distance, maybe? If you read, if you would have written in 2015, maybe you wouldn't have such perspective. Do you think that's been a big part of it? Like the the prologue, almost like a letter to the readers is dated, you know, 2023 from Ethan. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. it that kind of thing where the distance was helpful for you to get a little better perspective, look at it with a different set of eyes? Yeah, it definitely was. I think time and even just like physical distance, like I really felt like I needed to leave San Francisco to write about it. Um, Like I just felt too embedded in what was going on there to have much perspective. And so I actually started writing this book in I feel like late 2016, early 2017, when I was living in Tucson, Arizona and attending the MFA program there. Was this like your thesis in the beginning of? Uh, the book? It wasn't originally, and then it became like a version of it was my thesis. Okay. Um, originally, I wrote, I started writing actually like the first few pages of the book mm-hmm. are pretty much exactly what I wrote at my kitchen table in Tucson. Mm-hmm. And it started out like as nonfiction. Yeah. Um, so not like there's things about the opening pages where it's like, well, that wasn't me you know i didn't have like an apartment on that street or whatever but just kind of like the like i guess like the emotional of like force behind it sure what are the what's the meaning or meanings of bug especially in the tech world 
<laughs> That's a good question. The so a big diagram part, or right, like a big part of my job with early Instagram was just filing bugs so that engineers could fix them. Mm-hmm. And so, what would it, a, an example of a bug would be like in early days of Instagram? Like you might be scrolling through your feed and then the app just crashes, and as you know the tech worker you have to talk to the user and ask like okay like what were you doing when the app crashed Mm -hmm. and maybe it's like well i liked a photo and then i commented and then i scrolled a bit more and so in my role i might find that there's a pattern of that like every time someone likes a photo and then comments the app crashes Mm -hmm. and so that's an example of a bug okay did you ever did you ever go to the old the good old fashioned tried and true just like well did you try turning it off oh definitely yeah that was like the auto response basically it was like hey uh just restart that it, it works a lot of the time though right just it like, does yeah t- cable tv whatever yeah <laughs> <laughs> ethan starts off with uh the it's the prologue right mm-hmm. and, you know, basically almost again like a letter to the reader and ethan the main character the narrator says you know NDAs, non-disclosure agreements say that I, I legally shouldn't be telling you the story, but I'm going to. Um, and gets into talking about this app, this startup app that's called Date Date, D-A-T-E, Date, D-A-T-E. And early on in the book, he's he's tasked with putting together a mission statement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how much NDAs come into play in the tech world that you know. I mean, is and then and then how much that affects what what the user hears, what the user reads, you know, just ideas of like refracted truth, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I thought it would be interesting. I think the NDA thing just came kind of naturally as I was thinking about the tech industry, because they're so prevalent. Like every time you have lunch with, if you go down and visit a friend who works at Facebook, you have to sign an NDA just to like have lunch there. Um, And you know, most people just sign them because why not? Right. Um, but, and then as an employee too, you usually, you know, like everywhere I worked, I signed an NDA and mm-hmm. the non-disclosure agreement. And so it was kind of interesting to write against that, to think like, well, what is it like, what is it that I can and cannot disclose? And like, why are some things being sure. hidden? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, especially in the context of the story and some of the, the later plot. The founder is not, I don't believe, given a name. He's the founder with a capital F. He's, I think, purposely kind of vague and nebulous. He's, um, I don't know, he's almost robotic. Like, he almost doesn't seem real. He's, he likes his whiskey. He kind of, you know, uses some catchphrases that you, you're going to hear a lot. He's almost, you know, I wonder what you're going with with the founder. I mean, is he kind of just like this kind of guy that the more the closer you get you can't quite see his face he's just kind of like again like this nebulous one or or did you see him as more flesh and blood so yeah you're right he doesn't have a name and the reason behind that was because i feel like every time anyone writes about any tech company it's always like about the founder or about the you know the ceo of the company and so i kind of like purposely did that to make it so that day date wasn't just like this you know like a big personality sure. big personalities company um but as it like i think as the book goes on like you know 
the founder in his capacity as the founder of date day, like definitely has this like, you know, like any tech founder you've read an interview with or whatever, like I love like really good whiskey. I travel to places to pursue my like very niche interests. Um, but there are points I think like, especially when Ethan, um, is more distance from the founder as in, in like an employer relationship, mm-hmm. when he gets to see kind of like little cracks in the founder's personality, like there's a, the holiday party that's kind of like in the middle of the book where the founder's like really engrossed in like watching these birds mm-hmm. <laughs> in the Academy of Sciences. And, uh, I think you get like little kind of like there's like little cracks in his personality where you can see like oh maybe there's someone real here but in general i think it is kind of like one of these like you know um i think i think i was very resistant to like a founder figure taking over the book because i think that's just like every kind of like it in you know like if you read news about tech companies it's always like it's not twitter or x it's elon musk mm-hmm. you know definitely definitely and we've had to reap some of those negative benefits right yeah and i think Thank sometimes you. it sometimes it kind of like lets other people off the hook i think mm-hmm. um like i was talking to someone about spacex and i was saying something like well you know elon musk and they were like well actually i think like the ceo of spacex who is someone whose name i forget you know right. like needs to step up with these environmental regulations so sure. There's some kind of like, there's a weird, like, like, like Elon Musk becomes like mm-hmm. just the figurehead and not a, you know, flesh and blood person who's hired these other people to, sure. you know, help run a company. Yeah. I got a good laugh. I forget what part it was, but just like you were talking about kind of like, you know, there's the founder always has like niche interests and, you know, it's kind of very stereotypical archetypal. And um, there's something in the book was talking about like disrupting the disruptor, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably probably what if you had a dime for every time you heard that in your short you know your time in years at instagram you'd probably be a multi-billionaire right yeah i mean i think that's i think like the it's funny too because like those kind of like you know like the early facebook motto move fast and break things like it really did inspire people like it was like oh we don't have to go to a cubicle and answer to some you know some boss who's been here for 20 years like we can do our own thing and so it has this effect but as time goes on like obviously you know like 10 15 years later just kind of like yeah that's ridiculous <laughs> so he's working on the mission statement ethan is and you know he i don't know that we actually know exactly which one he picks i mean we talk about he talks about some of the options this one doesn't sound right this one doesn't sound right you know, ideas of art and commerce are we are we doing art are we you know is this about connection or is this about what's going to get the most users onto our, you know, our dating app and just that push and pull that happens throughout the book, right? Between art and commerce, between creativity and, and, and money and those kind of things. I wonder how you felt like, and, and also it, it's, it's worth mentioning that Josh, uh, I would say Josh, Ethan, the narrator is like 24 years old. So, I mean, he's, you know, a few years out of college. He's hasn't been out in the working world for very long. So maybe that naivete is is definitely more pronounced, but like, I wonder how much you think as he's like trying to come up with a mission statement and also scrambling, you know, trying to live in the city. And like you said, just make money like we all need to, how much you think he's uh, kind of wide eyed, naive about art and innovation and about how much he, he kind of learns about 
more about commerce and just the way of the world. Yeah, I mean, I think his age definitely and just experience in the working world definitely comes into play there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the beginning, like you said, in the beginning of the book, he's tasked with writing a mission statement for this dating app that is already a public dating app. Like they already right. exist. And so he's kind of like has this moment where he's like, wait, I thought you're supposed to have a mission statement when you're building the thing. Like, why am I like an employee here being tasked yes. with doing this? That was a great part you had in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems like it should be important. Like seems it would like it would come from the inventor hmm. um, that from the founder. And so I think he's, he's slowly like starting to realize that early on in the book that this isn't like, this is, um maybe not the the world that he's kind of like dreamt up mm-hmm. um, that it's not all just kind of like we're doing this because you know we really believe in this and this is going to make the world a better place to you know mm-hmm. quote another facebook slogan <laughs> right noma am i saying the name right mm-hmm. all right we'll talk about noma more in a minute but uh but ethan meets noma pretty early on in the book and I believe it was her who introduces him to some some poetry that he maybe hadn't known or hadn't known in great detail, including, you know, Adrian Rich, I think I mentioned before. And I believe it was one of the lines from her poem was, quote, this idea of like, quote, refining the truths they can tell each other, mm-hmm. which he's kind of like, oh, man, that's a that's a dynamite, uh, you know, mission statement. And it speaks a lot mm-hmm. to what the book's all about and, you know, what we what we post online. And, you know, the book doesn't get so much into that. You know, the book doesn't get so much into like, you know, I guess it does, you know, like curated, like posts and that kind of thing. But, you know, in a different way about more about like the truths that we get from the big companies, the truths that we decide to tell ourselves, you know, even like in a dating app, like how much really is the truth about what we're putting out there. Right. And I guess I I was going to ask you to guess two part about who is Noma to him. Like, I don't necessarily feel like it's right off the bat, like that he's like in love with her mm-hmm. or crush or, or lust or anything like that. But there's for sure a pull. And then I guess um, the importance of that line about refining the truths. Uh, yeah. From the rich poem. Yeah. I mean, to start with the refining the truths, we tell each other, like, I think that kind of relates to what we were talking about with Ethan going in wide eyed about like these dreams for the startup he's working for. Mm-hmm. Cause I think like, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of times like companies will disappoint you in some way. No, <laughs> um, but I think like it's also like in a way like kind of on him because he's going in with these like high expectations for what this startup can do for him. Like it can, you know, it can marry like art and commerce, yeah. and he's gonna like he's figured it out. You know, like this is like his life. Um, and he, you know, he quickly realizes that it's just like not at all it's turned out to be. Um, so I, I do think there is some as much as like, you know, we or I will talk about like the disappointments of tech companies and ways that they deceive their users and all of that. There's still something about like, you know, going in as an employee with certain expectations. And I, I think now, like. The good news is that like 10 or 15 years later, I think we're all just like way more educated about hmm. work in general and yeah. or at least, I don't know, in, in the tech industry, especially. Um, so I think there's like a little bit less of that, like, 
I, I don't know, like I would think like maybe a more kind of like measured, yeah. um, like entry into the working world. Um, so let me, let me ask you just while you're talking about that, are you, I don't know, are, are you like in touch still with a lot of people in, just like in the tech world? Like, you know, like the, and it comes up in the book, like at the corporation, we're talking about, like, you know, the stereotypical, like, oh, you know, whatever the Facebook campus or Apple, whatever, you know, they've got like ergonomic chairs and yoga and massage whenever you want and organic foods was, was, has that been toned down? Like, is it kind of, you know, like I could see that as like, oh, we're taking care of you. So yeah, yeah. I know you're staying here for 13 hours, but you have everything you need. Do you happen to know, like, do you feel like that's been toned down in recent years? Like you don't have to work 13 hours and we'll still give you the nice benefits, but it's not in lieu of time at home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it seems that way to me because I've, I mean, probably because the people I know have been working in the industry for a long time, you know, yeah. like no, over totally. 10 years. And so they have like seniority, they have uh, just like experience with managing like this, like work-life balance. Mm -hmm. um, like I know even when I was there, like they at, at uh, Facebook, now Meta, like they had these like great resources for like you know like professional coaches and stuff like that that you could but I was there's no way I was going to go do that like I wasn't I was like there to do my work and sure. I was like was focused on what I was doing and I wasn't going to like explore all of that but it seems like the, the culture is kind of like shifted and mm -hmm. in a good way where there's more balance there but yeah I mean recently I mean there's you know there's been so many layoffs in tech that I think there's also like that anxiety of like well I don't want to be laid off so mm -hmm. you know i better keep on top of yeah of my work huh yeah so back to noma like who who is she to him so i think like i feel like noma is sort of like become like quickly becomes his like best friend at work like sure. the person who gets him who gets ethan and she's also someone who has like way more perspective on work um she's uh, like around the same age, maybe a little bit older, but she's worked as a contractor at different startups, yeah. at different like tech companies. And so she's like seen these things happen where, you know, startups get acquired or um, a product doesn't turn out the way that they'd hoped or it doesn't grow. So she's coming with a little bit more pers like professional perspective. Yeah, I appreciate that. kind of early on in the book he's testing out he's, he's doing the beta testing but he's also like just interested as a human being this idea of like the perfect match they're working on like setting this up you can get to a certain percentile you have to answer all these questions you can get to you know 80th percentile 90th and he figures out the way to get to the 100th uh you know to like which is supposedly like a one-to-one -one ratio of you know this is your perfect um, match and he gets to and this woman is riley s Mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. on, if you have the book it's on page 26 where it you know it, it's it charts the experience that mm -hmm. he has and this is really like a sorry i just i meant you as in people listening you don't have to open i'm following um, along uh, yeah right <laughs> like i haven't read this page a hundred times like, exactly right <laughs> um but how would you how would you describe the experience he has when he what he thinks is going to be pretty cool or at least gonna you know peak his or what's the word satiate his curiosity 
What's that experience yeah. like when he finally gets that 100% match? Yeah, I mean, I, that's like definitely where the book turns into this like surreal sure. uh, story um, of the tech industry. So I think, I mean, you could read it as like someone who's like really amped themselves up on te- technology in this product, being able to fulfill these very like, like this, the, this human desire to find you know, the perfect, like, romantic partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he when he views the photo of that person, he has his experience, or I don't think this is giving anything away, where he's transported into this other realm. Mm-hmm. And can't, can't replicate it, right? There's, a, like, there's a black dot. There's a black, like, I mean, he, as the story goes on, he's able to see more of it, but, like, the photo of it, if you will is he can't replicate that at least not for for a while right right so when he returns from like whatever happened when he Mm -hmm. viewed his top match Mm -hmm. um whether you think of it as like at this point in the book as him going to another world or just kind of like blacking out because he's hardly slept and he's like reeling from like a breakup that he just had and Mm -hmm. all of that he returns and like looks at the photo of his top match again and it's just like a black box yeah um it's nothing You'd be a, you'd be a great like psychologist as well. Like there's some really cool stuff in the book about, you know, I guess in a way kind of like proxy for dreams, you know, is the portal, not like in your face as a reader um, about the fact that he's, you know, broken up about having broken up with Isabel, who I think they're together maybe four or five years, right? Yeah. they're Yeah. They've been together for like early twenties. Yeah. And so, you know, he's definitely pining for her, but it's not like, you know, uh, it's not over the top it's more subtle and nuanced so that's going on as well he and noma are talking about this you were mentioning like choose your own adventure this idea like they both kind of bonded over we're kind of arguing in a nice way but just about like those choose your own adventure books back in the day mm-hmm. right where you know if you want this to happen turn to page 43 turn to page 28 right and kind of not necessarily apropos of anything but that was that was pretty cool where that was a pretty cool like text she sent him where she's like if you want to be bored, go to page 18 or something. If you want to have fun, go to, and she gives him his address. I was like, that's. Yeah. She's trying to like break him out of just being this kind of like tech worker who shows up for work at work for 12 hours. And is just like totally committed to this like idea of the company that he believes in. I think she's a good, she's a good influence in his life. (laughs) Yeah. She's kind of, she's kind of gangster. Like I, I feel like if I did that, something like that, it'd be like a kind of corny dad joke, but (laughs) she's kind of edgy i don't know right i feel like it's also like work texting you know it's like it's like different from i don't know you're just like on your computer all day and it's like that can kind of you can kind of like pass off that yeah she later in the book like much later in the book she's like i know exactly what you meant but when he first says it she kind of laughs at him maybe laughs with him is he he says you know what noma you make me more dimensional Mm -hmm. and you just you just talked about that right she takes him out of his bubble kind of thing and um yeah so and this, he's having like a hard time like describing that. So he just like uses exactly, that word. So exactly. she's like, okay, you're corny. Exactly. So there's that startup energy that's, you know, artsy in some ways. There's only, I think, so there's a founder, there's Ethan, there's the engineer, and then there's Noma, like four people. Yeah. Yeah. Then as, as, as we get along in the book, there's some other people at the corporation. So the corporation also capitalized, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, archetypal, you can... 
you as a reader can put a name to it. And we, we kind of just know this general idea of the big company that swallows up the smaller companies. You were talking about like how Facebook would, you know, took over that, the, what's it called? Travel shop. <laughs> it's called next stop. Next stop. Right. And just kind of like acquisitions and mergers. And, you know, it happens in all kinds of businesses, not just tech, but mm-hmm. the corporation comes knocking. The rumors are that they're going to buy date, date, follow it up, flatten it out. And that's basically what happens. Right. Yeah. And they do have, they have their own ulterior motives sure. for buying the company. Sure. We're getting to the point where we're going to start to kind of tiptoe around some of the plots here, right? Okay, um, yeah. But um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about, so there's also Yarbo, which is, you know, Oakland, um, you know, obviously part of the Bay as well. And Yarbo, is, they call themselves like a tech art collective. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of cool, like guerrilla, not warfare is the word, but kind of guerrilla art tech collective. What? What's Yarwell about and what's how's um how's Noma kind of connected to them? So Noma knows some people at Yarbo, but I think Noma also kind of like in a way like embodies the spirit of Yarbo, which is as you said, is this art tech collective in Oak like this warehouse in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of people who are like, you know, like they've they might be doing like PhDs at Berkeley or they've like dropped out. They've just like taught themselves programming and they have like this real like marriage of the analog and digital. Mm-hmm. So there's like a typewriter and there's like, uh, but then there's this guy kind of like hooking up wires to a plant. <laughs> so there's just like a lot of experimentation and I had a lot of fun writing, like kind of like building that world yeah. of Yarbo because I felt like it was like this place that existed outside of the like traditional like idea of Silicon Valley, like this Mm -hmm. venture funded, very like mainstream industry. Like that Mm -hmm. does, that does some really cool things. Like I'm, you know, a fan of a, a, you know, like a lot of things that come out of Silicon Valley, but Mm -hmm. Yarbo gets to be this like more experimental place. It's not kind of beholden to, you know, their investors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I bet that was a lot of fun for the world building. It's a, it's a cool world that you do build. The portals open up. The portals, this, the thing that Ethan had done, there's some other kind of guerrilla hackers around the country who kind of figure out some ways to code it and to do that as well. And the, and the corporation, like I said, swallows it up and they start to like, you know, they, they, they market it as portals, like almost like you can travel somewhere else. And mm-hmm. people kind people do not necessarily literally, you know, it's kind of this in between, but this is idea, you know, as the book goes on, kind of like the corporation is like, how can we maximize this? How can we optimize this? And it gets in, into, comes into play as well with Ethan, with Noma and with uh, Henry, who Ethan meets at the company. He lost his daughter mm-hmm. in, in the way, in a different way than you would maybe think. Um, and there's, like I said, the psychological, the, the, the dream kind of like state where, you know, Ethan goes in the portals, he sees his parents, a younger version, kind of a different world, separate, but not separate King um, and all those things. And again, without trying to get, get away too much of the plot, but it's just such a cool way of like, I don't know, talking about longing, talking about what's been missed, talking about almost like a butterfly effect. Right. Mm-hmm. If you bring this, you know, I, th- I think so, I forget somebody quoted, like if, if you go to Hawaii and you bring like produce, it's going to mess it up. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's going to contaminate. Oh, like, right. So it's I, a, I want, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just going to like follow up on that and say, like, I, I just think there's like, 
you were saying there's like the corporation wants this technology, this like mm-hmm. portals technology, but I think we see how there's a kind of like this like limit to the technological imagination, like that these companies who are trying to like, you know, create a profitable or like a fast growing product mm-hmm. might um might encounter. Whereas like the way that Ethan and others, like these hackers across the country, exploit this like portals technology is much more of like this surreal yeah. dream state thing that has a lot of potential but isn't uh instantly monetizable. Right. What's the word? It's not saccharine sweet, you know, it's not like, oh, he he meets up again with Isabel, who, you know, shows up in some of these and she takes him back and they express their love for each other. It's really, really well done with really like a light touch. Um, just kind of, and he was speaking of touch, like just kind of like they're outside of his touch. There's they're there, but they're not there. There's just in between. There's a lot in the book, just in general, about like how can we quantify love, which you know, if you're gonna do a yes or no, you can't. But mm-hmm. you know, date date was trying to in some ways. And and also really interesting too is that a lot of people, including the founders, say it, and I think they mean it, that it wasn't just about like love matches, it's just about like connections, like friends familial um so i wonder kind of what you were trying to say with ideas of like connection yeah i mean i think that goes back to you know set i set the book in like an alternative history san francisco so like a late 2010 san francisco mm-hmm. and i did that because i you know not only because i worked in san francisco at that time but also because it was like the shift to the mobile internet like even though smartphones have been out for a little while, it really wasn't like we didn't really have like social media on our phones. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was just like such a time where like, I was really aware of how we were like using technology to create these like real world connections with people. And that was like really beautiful in its own way. Like these like early Instagram days, of like people in San Francisco, like becoming friends because they shared photos and kind of like you know followed each other um and that like that was really interesting to me but it was also like it felt like this like like something missing you know like Mm -hmm. you're trying to like bring technology in to um create like relationships and it just it felt like you know if you're only communicating online like you're not picking up on on everything um and so in a lot of ways like you know seeing like noma come in and like get ethan away from the computer and like they just do a lot of hanging out in golden gate park and Mm -hmm. at noma's house like i think there's something there's some kind of like texture that we get in our you know the face-to-face relationships that we don't Mm -hmm. that we can't like always depend on technology for and you're making me nostalgic I know. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like, I always feel like I have to qualify this because I'm like, but at the same time, it's like amazing. We can just zoom right now. And there you go. Feel like I'm, ha- you know, we're having yeah. a conversation about this book. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I mean, shoot, pre Trump, you know, pre Twitter, acts as a cesspool, pre Elon Musk going. Yeah. It's, it's, I read, um, Joanne McNeil's book lurking. It's like, um, like a nonfiction book that came out a few years ago. And 
there was one part I actually like mentioned her in the the book and the my acknowledgments because oh. she taught me about like you know I'd always been like oh you know the days of AOL like that was like just grand like nostalgic for that and she kind of like explained what was going on be at the company AOL at the time that I was a kid using it and like the way that they thought about their user. So I, I feel like there's always been some, yeah. you know, like it's easy to look back on the past and think like, oh, that was great. But You're right on, right on. Good. Thank you for that. That's true. That's true. I believe it was, yeah, it was in the narration. It was Ethan who basically was kind of thinking out loud. I don't know if he's speaking to someone else. Quote, to what extent are my passions my own? And man, that's bars that drop the mic, the whole, I mean, social media in general, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, the idea of like the curated profile, just in, in IRL, you know, like this idea of like, are you really into that band or is it something that you just do kind of because you're in high school and you want to be cool? Is it, are you just acting that way? Cause that's how mothers are supposed to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, there's really just something cool about that quote that I thought was, that one definitely rang true for me to one extent are my passions, my own. I wonder how much you felt like that is uh, singular to Ethan and how much is kind of is universal. I mean, I think anyone who's on, you know, on the internet today, like has to think about that, you know, like you, like he's thinking, like, you can think of it as like, oh, you're on, you know, Instagram, there's a suggested post and you kind of like, usually they're, I find they're pretty good. Like, they're like, oh, that's really great. And so you develop this new interest, maybe, mm -hmm. um, even if it's like a minor interest. Sure. Um, but, you know, like, um, so I, I don't know, like, we have to question like how, algorithms which are designed by people are presenting information to us and how much like of our world that actually makes up yeah you know because like it's yeah. really easy to think that that is everything going on in the world but yeah it's not the ending was different than i i guess i, I don't usually like anticipate i mean I, I guess i do subtly or not i, I was thinking of you more in the moment in the years like in which you know the most of the action takes place i thought it'd be more um involving those characters and again, with the idea of the distance, I really liked how you ended. I really enjoyed the ending with that distance. Again, without, we don't want to spot, I was going to say plot any of the spoil, spoil any of the plot. But I, I just thought it was so cool. It was so like meta, where I kind of understood in some ways that you yourself as Josh are kind of looking back on this time a few years later with a different perspective. And it was really cool to see Ethan do the same. Doesn't mean that it's a happy ending or a sad ending or whatever, but... Um, I just thought it was a really creative ending. And I wonder kind of maybe how you came up with the ending, how you decided to end it in that, you know, a couple of years later, a little bit later, rather than in the heat of those uh, events. Right. It's like a little bit later. So there's yeah. some distance. And I think, I, I think, you know, it is like a coming of age story. It's like a coming of mm -hmm. adulthood story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I did want to show that like, you know, what happened after kind of like the, more kind of like adrenaline packed part of the book like I wanted yes. to show what what Ethan was up to like how he kind of came out of that mm -hmm. um, that whole situation and I think I was you know I was like I was living in I was probably still in Arizona when I wrote that ending but I was nostalgic for San Francisco and sure. so that that end of the book is kind of like a little tour through San Francisco and yeah. and just kind of, I was thinking about, you know, I had left the tech industry to finally like pursue writing and which is something I'd wanted to do like before I even worked in tech. And 
I think as part of that, like I had to learn to trust myself, like to trust my own mm-hmm. vision. Um, and so I was thinking about that too in in the end of the book. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any stories left any about, uh, about the tech world? I wonder if you want to share any maybe future projects you have coming up. Ooh, stories about the tech world. Well, none of my future projects involve the tech world. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just like writing, writing some fiction now that, um, I'm pretty excited about, but I feel like it just changes. So, you know, like when you're working on a novel, it just uh-huh. things change so much. So I don't okay. feel like it's that useful to say anything about that, but I did just write this essay that was in Esquire. Oh, wow. About, um, the dark sky initiative where i live in west marin california and it was the first like reported it's sort of like reported journalism slash personal essay okay um and that was really fun to write and i got to meet a lot of people who are involved in trying to like reduce light pollution in this area Mm. so that it can remain one of the places where you can see the milky way uh, Uh the naked eye Oh, wow. Yeah. Very cool. So many cool stories that you're able to share, whether, you know, true or close to true in this book. It's so cool, like to be able to to write. I feel like it's a snapshot of a time and that's really hard to do when it was only, only, you know, 13, 14 years ago kind of thing. And so just really impressed with the book as a whole, you know, living in Sacramento, just got, so you, you render San Francisco. So I don't know, lovingly, you know, so thoroughly. That was really cool. And I just love the, uh, you know, like the founder and some of these archetypes that you really build who kind of, what's the word? Kind of ironically, you can, you don't see them, but you do see them because Mm -hmm. we don't know what he looks like necessarily, what his name is, but like, we know him, Mm -hmm. know someone like him. And, um, you know, it has that kind of like representative of of the bigger corporation overall. Long story short, very impressed. Thanks so much for talking to me and uh, good luck with the rest of your work. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to episode 205 with Josh Riedel. I think I said earlier it was episode 204. For those counting at home, it is episode 205. Thank you so much to Josh for his time and continue good luck to him with his writing. You can now subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. You can also ask for the podcast by name using Alexa and find the pod on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will podcast. And Josh, who is the Josh Riedel, T-H-E-J-O-S-H-R-I-E-D-E-L. Being that he is the first employee at Instagram, he does have a good following. You can also follow me on Twitter where I'm at Chills of Will P O one, the digit one. Sign up now for the Chills of Will Podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com slash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. My last name is spelled R-I-E-H-L. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. You can also check out the Chills at Will podcast Etsy page. If you want to support my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content, 
Thanks in advance for your support. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 206 with David Murrah, whose memoirs, poems, essays, plays, and performances have won wide critical praise and numerous awards. The topics range from contemporary Japan to the legacy of the internment camps and the history of Japanese Americans to critical explorations of an increasingly diverse America. His most recent standout is The Story's Whiteness Tells Itself. This episode will air on September 29th. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Josh Riedel, whose work, like Please Report Your Bug Here, gives you chills at will. Mm-hmm.